Good morning. It's really good to be here, even if it's not exactly in person. Some people are here. Um, I want to greet all of those of you who are not here. And I want to thank God that we still have this means of coming together. And I want to thank and pray this morning for those who don't have means of coming together. Lord, we pray, especially for your church under siege right now. We pray that you will strengthen their hearts and that this morning you will feed us and you will feed them. As we contemplate you, I think also in the transfiguration, your disciples were able to contemplate you even though they didn't understand all at once. Thank you that you keep revealing to us. Um, during Advent, I preached on the first two episodes in the Gospel of Luke. And today, the, that open what we call the infancy prologue. And today, I'm going to preach on this, the episode that closes it. And many things about these, the opening and the closing are similar. Um, so you can see several aspects. Have you ever uh, considered how the, this prologue begins with an older couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and how an even older couple close it with Mary and Joseph in the middle. Then there's the setting. Both take place, both the first episode and the sixth episode take place in the temple. Here we have a painting by Rembrandt that he did when he was 25. And I think it captures well the magnificence of the architecture. It's a little bit anachronistic. It's not quite the right architecture, but it is magnificent. And <clears throat> the, uh, this is important because the infancy prologue begins and ends in this temple, as does the whole Gospel of Luke. It opens and closes in the temple. And it was the epicenter of Jewish religion and power. The magnificent architecture was the pride of the Jewish people. It was a wonder of the world of their day. Next. A second aspect of this story that reminds us of the opening of the prologue are the characters. Just like Zachariah and Elizabeth of the first episode, on whose piety Luke insists this old man, Simeon, and this old woman, Anna, are known to be righteous and devout. They are actually paragons of piety. Fasting, praying, prophesying, living in touch with the Holy Spirit, and hanging out in the temple. Luke, uh, next. Luke also reminds us of their waiting. Zachariah and Elizabeth had been waiting for a child all their life. All the people were waiting 
for the deliverance from the oppressor. Simeon and Anna are waiting. Simeon for the consolation of Israel and Anna for the redemption of Jerusalem. These two expressions are actually in poetic parallel. They're two ways to say the same thing. And of course, we have their age. Elizabeth, on top of being infertile all her life, was beyond childbearing age. Menopause, say 50s, maybe early 60s. Simeon and Anna take this age thing to a whole new level. Anna is in her 80s, and Simeon declares himself ready to die. In both stories, there is an infant. The infant John will be given to the first couple, and even older members of the Jewish remnant, faithful remnant, will receive the infant Jesus. Why is Luke including the story in the prologue? What necessary piece does it bring to this larger picture? In the prologue, several very reliable witnesses have testified to the divine identity of Jesus. Angel prophes prophesying. Here, in the heart of the practice of the Jewish faith, two extremely reliable witnesses declare before his parents and us who Jesus is. In their individual lives, this must have been the crowning experience. But God also chose these two to be part of his higher purpose. Verses 22 to 24 speak of the purification rites for the mother who had just given birth required by the law of Moses and the consecration of the firstborn male child. This happened when the infant was 40 days old. The word law comes three times in these three verses, once as the law of Moses and twice as the law of the Lord. This story is therefore squarely placed in a context of faithful Jewish practice of the law. It has often been remarked that the young couple bring a pair of birds that you can see in the picture there. The offering allowed for the poor. Joseph and Mary were not necessarily destitute, but they couldn't afford a calf or a lamb either. Jesus was born into a modest family like the vast majority of his people. In verse 25, Luke introduces Simeon and the meeting, the encounter. In the Eastern Rite, that's the Greek, uh, Russian, Orth Egyptian, Coptic, or Orthodox, this story is known by the name Eupandesis, the encounter and follows a structure in which Luke excels. Described by Bernard Standard as le récit de rencontre, Luke's gospel and the book of Acts are full of encounters. Think, for example, of the father and the prodigal son, that emotional encounter on the road, or of Philip the evangelist and the Ethiopian eunuch, 
or even in our prologue here, the encounter between Mary and Elizabeth. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. The parents are directed by obedience to the law. Simeon is directed specifically by the Holy Spirit. Just as the law was mentioned three times in the preceding verses, here the Spirit is mentioned three times. The law and the Spirit are not parallel, they intersect, they meet. I love the movement in this painting by Cornelius de Vos, called the presentation in the temple, depicting the meeting happening. We feel this dramatic, dramatic moment when Simeon takes the baby in his arms and looks to the sky to praise God. We feel the upheaval that Jesus will bring to his people, the rising and the falling. I love Anna in the center, probably talking to Joseph as she speaks to everyone who's waiting for the redemption of Israel. I like to think of her spunky like that. In verses 29 to 32, we have the beautiful prayer of praise known in church history by the Latin words that begin it, nunc dimitis, or now let depart. Simeon's whole life has reached its climax as he sees with his own eyes what has been promised to him, to see the Lord's Messiah. As his chapter is closing, he sees into the next chapter, a cause of great joy, but also of future conflict. Ironically, in the heart of Jewish practice, the temple, the Holy Spirit, announces a salvation that will extend far beyond the temple and the Jewish people. In the sight of all nations, the people who could not even enter the temple, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. This universal extent of the Jewish covenant is in fact the glory of God's people, Israel. Mary and Joseph marvel Simeon blesses them, but then he delivers a second oracle, the first ominous note in the gospel, which he directs to Mary. If the Lord's Messiah is the glory of the people Israel, he will also be a stumbling block, the cause of both falling and rising of many in Israel. There will be an upheaval. He will be a sign that is spoken against, 
so that the thoughts and hearts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Jesus will not be understood completely even by his closest disciples or his own family. This sword revealing the thoughts of their hearts will even pierce his own mother's heart, Mary, who has been presented as a model of faith in these first two chapters. She will also be tried. She and Jesus' brothers will come to try to intervene in Jesus' ministry, and Jesus will not let them in. The sword has also been interpreted as the pain that Mary will experience watching her son die. And there is no doubt that she will experience excruciating pain at this. But I think that in our present context, the metaphor is speaking about revealing the attitudes of her heart towards Jesus that will evolve over time. Luke doesn't tell us how Mary and Joseph react to this, but immediately presents our final new character, Anna. In several ways, Anna appears to be the female counterpart of Simeon. She is also a prophet. She's also very old and has a lifestyle and reputation which appear to be an ideal of Jewish piety, having devoted over 60 years of widowhood to worship, prayer, and fasting in the temple area. Coming up to them at that very moment, this meeting is not from two directions, but three directions. Simeon, the family, and Anna. Like Simeon, Anna also supernaturally recognizes the Messiah and gives thanks to God. Moreover, she speaks to everyone looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I imagine Anna like our own Mary Ramsey. Always ready to praise God and share it with people around. Mary, we miss you. This tender and sensitive portrait on the left uh, of an elderly woman uh, has been associated with Anna in this story. And it was probably, the model was probably Rembrandt's mother. I think it reminds us of how Anna was precious in God's sight and that her prayer and fasting and sharing God's word are valuable in the kingdom. This meeting is not only about the people who come together. It is also about how Luke is showing how God brings together the law and the prophets, men and women, 
young and old, the chosen people and the nations, promise and fulfillment. First, we observe the faithful observation of the Mosaic law being intersected by the special unction of the Holy Spirit. Then we see coming together man and woman. Luke strives throughout his gospel to balance man and woman. Kenneth Bailey points out how even in his telling of parables, Luke likes to present one with a world of men followed by one from a world of women. For example, the lost sheep was a world of man. It's followed immediately by the lost coin that comes from the world of women. This final story of the infancy section of the prologue also features the very young and the very old. It speaks of the fulfillment of the old covenant promises and Simeon and Anna's longings. In the same time, pronounces the promise of the new covenant. Jesus, the glory of Israel, will become the light for all the nations of the earth. Like the first picture we saw of the group in the temple, painted at age 25, when Rembrandt was 25, this picture was also painted by Rembrandt, but this time the year he died. What mattered, the, the two paintings could hardly be more different. What mattered for Rembrandt seems to have changed over the years as all the externals of the first painting, the architecture, the beautiful costumes, they're all gone. And all we see is Simeon and the babe. Rembrandt meditates on the old man and the infant, and he contemplates his own mortality. I'm 70 years old. Some would say the new 50, whatever that means. My grandfather died the year he was 70, but today many advances in uh, science, medicine, nutrition, exercise, uh, science, it's possible to extend our life. But I find too often in our culture, this has engendered a sort of attitude, naive, maybe even arrogant, that we will not die. We may live longer, but we will certainly die unless the Lord comes before. The point is to live the life God is calling us to, to be ready to return to him when our time comes. But like Simeon, as we feel our life slipping away, we can contemplate God's promise in Jesus. Also, as a society, in our adulation of youth and health, we have a hard time valuing our elders, especially when they're fading in strength and vitality and co cognitive ability. Many other cultures put us to shame. 
But Simeon and Anna round out our stories of the infancy of Jesus. God honors them by choosing them as witnesses. How can we show respect and care for the elders in our midst and in our lives? Who might God be calling us to care for and learn from? Okay, one last little thing before I finish this. It's something I found very cool in this story. It's called a mise en abyme, which in English is mise en abyme. Okay, what's that? That's when there's a little picture inside a bigger picture of the bigger picture, or a story in a bigger story that's like a metaphor for the bigger story. Okay, next. Next. In today's story, the faithful Jewish remnant are portrayed as very old, ready to die. They have been actively waiting for God's redemption all their life, listening to the Holy Spirit. This story takes place in the temple at the heart of the Jewish religious practice. Simeon and Anna represent the covenant with the Jewish people, centuries old, which points to Jesus, finds fulfillment in Jesus. This covenant is being fulfilled as both Simeon and Anna see Jesus with their own eyes. Like Simeon and Anna, who are ready to return to their maker, the old covenant is ready to pass and give way to the new covenant that will take its place. This child who brings the new covenant is both the glory of Israel and reaches beyond Israel to all the nations. Simeon takes the child in his arms, receiving, acknowledging this fulfillment. He praises God for this privilege of seeing God's salvation. It's like the Old Testament stamp of approval on Jesus, just like we saw in the transfiguration today. Elijah, and Moses are the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, acknowledging Jesus, and then fading, leaving as Jesus alone stands. Okay. In what ways might the Holy Spirit be helping you to discern today how he is working, perhaps in some newborn stage of ministry? We discussed this question a couple of weeks ago in a breakout room when I preached on this passage in Loisis, a Francophone congregation on the West Island. When it came my time to share, I was surprised, I'm not gonna share, okay. I thought of the Escuelitas. You remember my interview with the Atiencias about a month ago. And what's exciting for me is that a tiny escuelita is starting here in Montreal, and we're joining forces with Toronto. And as I began to share this vision with this, this little French breakout group, 
I was really blown away by the very intense interest expressed. And it's something that I'm praying about that this will extend into Francophone Quebec. In Jesus, all things meet. God's past and present covenants with his people, the law and the prophets, man and women, young and old, Jew and Gentile, the chosen people and the entire world. May God give us like Simeon and Anna to live our lives to his glory to the very end, both in faithfulness and in sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. May he permit us to see and to bless his new work, even in its newborn stages. May we always be ready to invest in the new generation and to pass the torch of ministry. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.